there's so many people that they're intimidated by even starting to try to understand the Bible. They think it's just beyond them, that it takes some sort of special education or something to even begin to fathom uh, what you can find in Scripture and have it speak to you. And that's just not the case. Now, there are some prerequisites, but before I get to those, I'll just let you know that uh, if you attempt to study the Bible, God's going to reward you because it says that his word will not come back to him void. I first started reading the Bible, as I've confessed to y'all, as a sleeping aid. Whenever I was about Ariana's age, uh, my granddaughter out there, I uh, would... Uh, I had a hard time going to sleep at night. I would just lay there, and I discovered if I'd just find something really boring to read, that I'd get sleepy. And nothing made me sleepy faster than the Bible. And so I just decided, I'll just read this through, and this will be my sleep aid. And so I started reading, and at first, you know, you get to the begat, 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 begat. You know, there were lots of things in there that were very boring to me at that point in time. But then I began to see that there were families named there, and these names kept popping, popping up different places. And then you see this one guy living to be 900 and something years old, and then you start seeing some really uh, interesting things, and then you see the flood and all that happened there, and then you go on, and there's just all these different interesting things, and then when you get into Judges, and you've got all the intrigue, and you've got First and Second Kings, you see David, and uh, uh, the battles that he fought, and different things like that, it began, after a while, to become like, like a big soap opera. Because the names kept coming up, there was continuity. Everything that I read when I started at the beginning wound up having something to do with what went on before. And so it did wind up starting to become entertaining. I started looking forward to it. I went ahead and read it on through, and it, it really stuck with me. And the stories of Jesus, and then the things of, in Acts, those all stuck with me. And even though I didn't really know how to apply it, seed was planted that would later on grow in ways that I wouldn't imagine. There was a, a woman in Russia who was a member of the Communist Party, a young woman that uh, she was one of these that was just a devout communist that just loved to ferret out underground churches and report them. And she wound up having some back trouble, and she started taking yoga to help her with her back problem. And she had to come up with a mantra to say, just some nonsensical words to say while she was uh, practicing yoga. And so she chose the Lord's Prayer. And she would just say the Lord's Prayer because to her it was just nonsense. But as she said it over and over again, it began to sink in. And she began to wonder, is there really, could there be a father in heaven that really cares about us and wants to provide for us and will forgive us and, and things like that? And she started seeking. And first she sought out 
Christian friends, they wouldn't have anything to do with her. And finally, an Orthodox priest took her under his wing and began to mentor her and brought her into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as her Lord and her Savior. And then she wound up kind of like Paul. Whenever Paul first showed up to the church after he had been persecuting it, people looked at him askance and wondered if he was just trying to trick them in some way. It took quite a while for the church to get to know her. But she wound up, now then, she is just a strong servant of the Lord. So anyway, so his, his word will not, if you attempt to study the Bible, if you just read it, you're going to get something out of it. If not, if not immediately while you're reading it, later on, things will start to pop up. You'll start to see scriptural principles at work. So with that prerequisites for studying the Bible, number one is childlike faith. Set aside all your cynicism. Set aside all of your uh, sarcasm. Set aside all of those things and approach this not as a collection of books written by old men, but look on it and understand that this is God's holy word. These are sacred scriptures. God has written in a book what we need for life. And if you approach it with faith, like a little child, setting aside your questions and looking, but still, well, I'm not saying do away with your questions, because if you have questions, God will answer them. But just go ahead and, and approach it with an understanding that this is God's word and he is not trying to trick me. He has something in here for me. And then you must approach it with prayer. You must, uh, uh, as, as John Wesley said, it takes the same Holy Spirit that helped people to write this book to understand this book. And so just as they uh, had to have the Holy Spirit with them in the writing, so we have to have the same Holy Spirit with us to help us to understand it. And so... Uh, uh, understand that. Helpful tools to help you to understand the Bible. Uh, I would say, first and foremost, the, you, the most important tool is to get a broad understanding of the Bible from cover to cover. Get an overview of it. Understand that this book, that the Bible is, is, is a continuity. It is a one continuous story from the very beginning of time to the culmination of time. And you can look on it almost like, uh, well, like in a soap opera. Uh, you look at Days of Our Lives. I tuned in just a few days ago. I walked by and it was on. I sat down. I haven't watched Days of Our Lives in 20 years. And I recognize some of the families. I recognize some of the, oh, so-and-so's grown up now. And uh, I still recognize some of these people. And uh, it was just like uh, I just came back, got going back to your hometown after you've been gone a while. But uh, uh, there is a, a story, and just like in a many, many soap operas, there is one leading family in this story, and that's the family of God. And uh, God is the patriarch, 
the good patriarch, and yet there is a Stefano Demera in here too. You know, there's the the bad guy in the in here, and you'll see this uh, antagonism between the bad guy and the good guys all the way through this particular book. You can look on it like uh, what's the new show out, Game of Thrones. You know, there's competition for who's going to be in charge here. Who's going to be king of kings and lord of lords? And we see that there's a conflict going on from the very beginning to the very end. And then, But then we get to see the Lord wins. But there is a continuity from the very beginning to the very end. And I'll, if you're not very familiar with the Bible... Uh, the way to start understanding it is not to do Bible study by, uh, you know, some people just think that it's a book of magic and you just go, Lord, what do you have for me today? And then just look down and, uh, and read what it says there. And yeah, you will find something that might be helpful there. Like my finger just laid on, apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. That's good advice, you know, but that doesn't help you to understand the Bible, does it? That's like a China, reading a Chinese fortune cookie. That's not what the Bible's about. Uh, so don't approach it by just opening up in a place. You wouldn't begin a novel by opening in the very middle and expect to understand the whole novel, would you? You need to have the whole thing. You need to understand the whole thing. Another thing that you don't do is just uh, uh, look for snippets. Don't just go through looking for the promises. Don't go through just uh, looking for, you know, some people say, well, uh, what I'm interested in uh, is, is are the passages about love. That's what I'm interested in. Somebody else will say, I'm interested in just the words of Jesus. All I want to read is the red letters in the Bible. You know, you'll see people in all these in different extremes that want to just pick and choose what they're taking from the Bible. What you should be interested in is God. That's who you should be interested in as you read this book and how he relates to you. And once you get that down, then the promises will come true. Then the comfort will be there. Because you will know the one who made the promises. You will know the one who gives the comfort. But until you understand him and know him, then all the picking and choosing is to no avail, really. You won't know the depth of what you can know in your relationship with God. And so uh, as far as helpful tools, the first one I would say if you are not familiar with the Bible, start with something like this. This is beautiful Bible stories. It's a children's book. And if you have children, I would encourage you, sit down every evening and read one of these stories. Start at the beginning. Uh, we did this with our kids, and I, had no, I did not know the continuity of Scripture till then, really. But every story is connected to the next. Uh, whenever you uh, uh, read about uh, Joe, the story about Joseph and his coat of many colors, if you read them in order, you see that's how the children wound up in Egypt. The children of Israel wound up in Egypt, 
and why uh, God had Moses had to lead them out and part the Red Sea. There's a connection between the story of the coat of many colors and the parting of the Red Sea that you'll miss if you just hop skip around. And so I encourage you, if you've never read through the Bible before, start with something like this that's easy to read that will give you a, uh, a, a concept of the whole of the story of the Bible. And uh, they, these always have, at the very end of each chapter, questions. And I would encourage you to go over those questions with your kids. If you uh, have kids and you're going through with them as a family devotional, if you don't, read the questions yourselves. And if you can't answer them, go back and read the story again so you'll understand and know. Uh, that's one Bible story book. This is another one. They don't have to be expensive. And they're all basically the same. And so once you go through one of these, then you will have the story, the continuity from Genesis through Revelation. And so uh, that's number one is make sure that you uh, do that. And then whenever you, after you get this uh, uh, whole concept down of uh, there being a continuity from cover to cover, and you start to study the Bible after that, then you're probably going to need either, where you're going to, I, I would suggest a good Bible dictionary and a concordance. Uh, these two things, this is every word in the Bible in alphabetical order so that you can look it up and find out what the Greek means. So you don't have to be a scholar. All you have to do is look the word up and then you'll have the meaning of the word and all the different shades of meaning of the word. Bible dictionary is great to understand people, who they are, places, where they are, uh, things of that nature. And then... Another tool, you can get something like this is like a 44 Magnum Bible. This is uh, like a Bible. It's a study Bible. And it has the dictionary, commentary, concordance, all, all together <clears throat> in one cover. And so uh, and it's got helpful tools to help you to understand what the scripture is about. And so if you could get this, you don't really need the concordance or the uh, a dictionary unless you just want to dig a little deeper. And so uh, just be aware of, of those. Uh, online Bibles, there are tons of online Bibles. Uh, BibleGateway.com, UVersion.com, they're really good to understand different uh, translations and not all translations, as we were talking about earlier today, uh, the Bible was written basically in the Greek and Hebrew. And uh, this is more, uh, as, as a modern language major, Spanish, Russian, and Czechoslovakian, uh, I have learned that words are symbols to convey ideas. And uh, it, sometimes if you translate something literally, it makes no sense in another language, or it sounds awkward, like uh, el perro, perro blanco means, uh, literally, that's the dog white. But it makes a lot more sense if you translate it, the white dog. 
because that's the concept you see that's being conveyed. And so uh, language changes and things change and through the years, like King James Version is now very difficult for a lot of people to read, even though it's a beautiful translation, and it is one of the most accurate translations that you'll come across. But there are others. And uh, like the one that I use is uh, the New American Standard Bible because whenever I was in seminary and I would translate stuff from uh, Greek into English, it would come out almost verbatim. I mean, word for word, my translation would just go along with the New American Standard Bible. The thing is, sometimes the order of the words may be a little awkward because it is a very literal translation. Uh, this one here, the NIV, takes a little bit different approach. It tries to be as literal as possible, but also tries to uh, change the word order up to where it comes closer to where we can read it smoothly and understand it. So there are lots of different translations that are good. There are some that are very biased, and, uh, uh, but, uh, there are, but most of them are pretty good. So, uh, but understand that even though it doesn't read exactly the same as what it says in your Bible, the, the words in between, or the, the meaning, is what you're getting at. And you're trying to get the Lord's meaning to you. So, uh, uh, Bible Gateway and YouVersion.com, they have lots of free versions there. You can compare three or four at one time even. And so that helps you to get a, a greater understanding. Uh, software, eSword.com is free. Uh, you, can buy, you can pay for other Bibles uh, to go along with it. But it's a free study Bible. And uh, it's uh, online. And then, uh, my goodness, like so you can buy modules for it. But eSword.com, it's just the best I've found. I'll just tell you. Because I have been given Bible study programs that cost hundreds of dollars. And I thought, oh, great. And I'll think, this is what I'm going to use. And I'll start using it. And I just wind up going back to eSword.com. Because eSword is just, I just can't beat it. So that's what I use more than anything else whenever I'm preparing. Uh, so in apps, there's an eSword LT for your uh your, your smartphone, and there's another one that's uh, called uh, uh, just the Holy Bible. It's U version for a smartphone, and it's another great one. So uh, anyway, familiarize yourself with the Bible as a whole. You've got all these tools that are available to help you. And then three basic steps for understanding Scripture. You'll see them there in your handout. Number one, Observation. Ask yourself, what does the passage say? Number two, interpretation. What does the passage mean? And then number three, application. How does the meaning of this passage apply to me? That's the three basic steps to whenever you're studying a passage of Scripture. Back on observation, what does this passage say? Determine the setting of Find out the geographical area, the historical, political, the religious setting, 
The introductions and commentaries many times will help you to understand where the person was writing from, like Paul. Is he writing from prison? Is he writing on a road somewhere? Uh, different things like that. And uh, so uh, determine the setting. Who are the characters? Who are the people that are involved? And uh, who's doing what to who? And then uh, look at key words that talk about who's doing what to who. And then make sure that you understand any of these words that seem significant. And then, uh, like I say, reading the passage in several translations can be helpful. And then interpretation. What does the passage mean? After you've done number, steps, step number, number one, paraphrase the passage in your own words. And then uh, ask yourself, what are the tensions in the passage? What does the passage tell us about these tensions? And uh, what does it give us a solution to the tensions? What does the rest of the Bible say about these tensions? And then from that, you come to consider your own life in light of these tensions prayerfully and say, are any of these tensions in my life right now? Is the Lord speaking to me about how I should be handling something? Uh, just and, and, and what command, warning, promise, assurance, or encouragement is the Lord speaking to you through this passage? And the last thing is, last question. Now, what are you going to do about it? The Lord has spoken He's brought something to mind. Now, what are you going to do about it? If you'll flip your page over, you'll see uh, uh, Acts uh, 17, 1 through 12. And I've got the whole uh, uh, the one through first of 12 verses uh, there so that you'll have context. And context is the textual setting for a passage. First of all, you need to know, you don't just pick out, like I said, a snippet. You need to know what went on before. You need to know what's going on afterward so you can understand what's going on. And in this particular case, just kind of summing it up, Paul is on a missionary journey. He has uh, gone to uh, uh, Thessalonia and he's, uh, he's, he went three different Sunday or three different Sabbaths to uh, the synagogue and he started teaching them about how Jesus is the one that's uh, pointed to in the Old Testament, and he is the Messiah. And the uh, Jews in the synagogue got really ticked off at him, and uh, he had to leave town. And then he wound up going to Berea, and it's amazing. You know what it says he did that, that next uh, Saturday, the next Sabbath? He went to the synagogue. I mean, they run him out of town. You'd think maybe uh, he might think, uh, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I'd be more popular if I didn't do this God stuff, you know, or something. Uh, something, whenever, but he goes right back because you see, that's what he's been called to do. And so he goes right back into the synagogue in Berea. And then look what happens. And then we read uh, in, uh, I'm just trying to give you the setting for uh, verse 11. Now the Bereans were, more, were of more noble character 
than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Totally different reaction than what he got in Thessalonia. Now then, if you look down below that, I've taken verse 1711 and I'll put it in different translations for you. So you see in the King James Bible, it says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And then in the CEV version, the people in Berea were much nicer than those in Thessalonica and they gladly accepted the message. Day after day, they studied the scriptures to see if these things were true. New American Standard Version. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether those things were true. And then finally, the Good News Bible, G and B. The people there were more open-minded than the people in Thessalonica. They listened to the message with great eagerness, and every day they studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was really true. Now, you can see some variations, can't you, from one translation to the other, but the word that really jumped out to me as far as a key word when I first read this was the word noble, uh, noble character. And I thought, okay, but when I saw that, I thought, now, what gave the Bereans, or what does it mean they had, they were more noble in character than the Thessalonians? Because I knew that Paul had a church planted in Thessalonia, and that he'd written a couple of letters to the Thessalonians. And so, what's going on here? How come he didn't write any letters to the Bereans? Something's going on here. And so, you look in there, it says, uh, they were more noble character than the Thessalonians. You read in the King James Version, it says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. You read in uh, the CEV, they were much nicer. So you've got noble, you've got nicer, and then you read in uh, the New American Standard, more noble-minded. And then you read in uh, the Good News Bible, more open-minded. And so you can you see you get an idea as to what was going on whenever he's talking about a more noble character. They were more receptive to the things of God. And they received what Paul said because you see, so what do you see here? What's the tension? This is what it's all about, tension. There's a tension that we see as far as the Thessalonians and the Bereans when it comes to the word of God and uh, what uh, Paul was telling them uh, about scripture and about Jesus. The Thessalonians were bound by tradition and they were jealous, it says, because you see, Paul was coming in and he was telling them stuff that wasn't like they wanted to hear it like they'd always heard it before. And so they ran him out of town. They were not open. 
Their hearts were turned toward tradition, not toward God. Do you see that? And he goes to the Bereans and says the same stuff. And they're Jewish people just like the others. But for some reason, they are more, as it says, open-minded to the things of God. Their hearts are receptive to what God has for them, not just what their tradition says. It reminds me of whenever I was in seminary and I, I wrote a paper one time in contemporary Judaism uh, about why is it that you can't be Jewish and recognize Jesus as the Messiah and stay Jewish. And Rabbi Olin's uh, greater got hold of that. And uh, my paper just dripped red ink. Says, you just can't do that. You can't be a Jew and be a Christian. There's just there's no way you can do that. And he was just, just went crazy on it. But he didn't really tell me why other than you're either this way or you're that way. You can't, there's no such thing as a messianic Jew. Then I, uh, and I'd laid it out and said, look, he lays out all these different things. You know, it looks, it's obvious. Jesus is the Messiah. Why can't they be just completed in their faith and be happy? And this guy just goes crazy on that. Then Rabbi, Rabbi Olin comes along and his only comment was, thou almost convincest me. That's like the difference between the Thessalonians and the Bereans, isn't it? Rabbi Olin was much more open to the things of God than his greater was. You see the difference? And so uh, now then, out of that, just looking at that tension, what starts to speak to you? What's the question that starts to come up? How about me when it comes to the tension between tradition and whatever God has for me today. Am I willing? And the traditions come liberal, conservative, all different sorts. There are, you know, there are people who are so bound by tradition, like in some denominations, in some ways of looking at scripture, it's called dispensationalism, where, okay, you know, miracles, signs and wonders, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit, things like those things just died out with the apostles. And those things don't happen anymore. Miracles don't happen anymore. And there's a, see, that's a tradition. That is a, a, a mindset that certain people buy into that keeps them from seeing the whole word of God and keeps them from being open to the fact that, yeah, God still performs miracles today. God still does things today. There's also, there are conservative traditions that keep people away from God. There are liberal traditions that keep people away from God. And so the tension isn't conservatism or liberalism. You know, really Christians, you shouldn't be able to label them, really. They ought to be just his, a follower of Christ not fit into one category or another other than I'm a follower of Jesus and what does he have for me today? And so I would say the, the tension that comes to me is between tradition 
and open-mindedness and open-heartedness toward what God has for me today. And then the question comes, where am I in this and what am I going to do about it? Another tension that you see is uh, uh, the tension between wanting to be comfortable and wanting to do what God wants you to do. We see Paul uh, going through some uncomfortable things in one place that could very well discourage him from doing the same thing somewhere else. And yet he goes ahead. He knows that's what God wants him to do. And he does it. And he winds up with totally different results. He wouldn't have been blessed by the Bereans if he hadn't been willing to risk the discomfort. And so another tension there is the risk of discomfort and obeying what God has for you to do. Do you see? Those things, both those things come out of this passage very, very readily. They just leapt at me. And, uh, and if you approach things like this, those things will leap at you. And so let's just go ahead and bow our heads and let's pray now. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you it is true. It is truth. And uh, we thank you for reminding us that through your Holy Spirit, we can understand it. And uh, as we just take the steps to try, you will be there with us and you will open it for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.